0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Confidence Project. I'm your host, Kimberly Hill. And this podcast is all about life and dating and relationships and navigating this intoxicatingly tricky world that we are all in. I want to bring you humor. I want to bring you fun. I want to bring you practical advice that you can apply right away in your lives and your dating lives and in your relationships. So thank you all for tuning in. I look forward to bringing you another episode. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Confidence Project. I'm your host, Kimberly Hill. uh, And I just want to thank everyone who's been listening to my show, my new listeners and everybody alike. It's been a pleasure bringing you weekly episodes and bringing on amazing guests. If you haven't already done so, please uh, rate and review the show. And thank you to those that have already left me reviews. It definitely helps spread the word to more people so they can join in on the fun and learn from awesome guests such as today's Today, I'm bringing on Jennifer Littner. She's a licensed psychotherapist and sexuality educator who's passionate about helping people navigate sexuality related concerns. She specializes in sex and relationship therapy and helping people work through life transitions and anxiety, which I think a lot of us are dealing with today. So she's also the founder of Embrace Sexual Wellness, a wellness center providing sex therapy and sexuality education. Programming in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Nice to have you on. How's your day going?
1: Thank you, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to be here. My day is going great and I'm excited to dive into our conversation.
0: Awesome. Me too. Um, Before we talk about all things sex and sex therapy and life transition and anxiety and all that stuff related to what you do, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story and kind of what led you to working in this particular field of sex therapy and education.
1: Of course, I feel like I get this question so often because (laughs) people are we're naturally curious about sexuality, of course. But when I was um, early on in my career, I was working in a public health capacity doing um, sexuality education programming through peer health education um, at a wellness center on a university campus. And we started doing HIV testing. We got a grant for students to get tested for free. And I became a post-test counselor and went through training to do that, which basically meant that students would come in, get tested. I would administer the Uh, Test and results and whatnot. And in doing that uh, post test counseling, I realized that a lot of people are feeling really anxious about their sexual health. Part Mm -hmm. of it is, you know, there's just not great. I mean, I'm going to speak in the United States, but um, I I would imagine that may extend to Canada as well. Um, And, you know, there are also relational difficulties. People have a difficult time bringing this up with a partner. sometimes people were coming in because a partner stepped out and broke a relationship agreement. And so they were then vulnerable for um, potentially contracting STI or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all of these things I think really led me to explore something beyond sex ed, but the sex therapy aspect of things. So yeah. and I really saw these things connected. And so I went on to do a lot of training and schooling and it's a lot of history uh, <laughs> after that, but that's really what like my origin story began as I kind of fell into sex therapy by a way of being an educator and in public health, which I think is a really common place a lot of
0: people yeah. enter this field so not only just like helping people understand it but then when people come to realize or learn about themselves or sex or sexuality then helping people deal with the emotions that come along with it right
1: absolutely yeah. and
0: and that emotion regulation piece and being able to
1: sort through that and process it is another aspect of education that mm-hmm. you know some of us don't we don't always get you know a manual of like okay this is how you manage this this situation in life um you know if a partner doesn't can't meet your need, right? Like we go to school, we get a math textbook, but we don't yeah. really get one for um, intimate health and relationships. So I no, think that's don't. something that uh, was very, very re- uh, relevant for people.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I second that for sure. I know for a fact, it's very hard to have conversations about sex and about what we want or what we don't want, what feels good, what doesn't, and even into getting into new relationships, talking about you know, parts of our sexual history that are relevant for new relationships and it can feel dirty. It can feel awkward. It can feel shameful. It can feel all sorts of things. So I think normalizing it is, is certainly helpful. So thank you for what you do. And, um, I was checking out your website again, just to get fully versed on uh, the embrace sexual wellness center. And I see that there's, um, like a slogan on the front page. And part of it says that everybody deserves to be sexually satisfied. Now, I'm curious, I'm a curious person, what does that really mean? Like, what does it actually mean to be sexually satisfied?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, satisfaction is sort of like our experience, our our kind of subjective understanding of whether we we enjoy something, we experience pleasure. And so, you know, if we're satisfied with our sex lives, then we are able to enjoy it. We are able to um, experience pleasure from it. And Mm -hmm. to the degree to which we want, you know, not everybody identifies as a sexual person, but for those that, that do have an interest intrinsically in being sexual, you know, I think it's really important that everybody has the tools they need to be able to access pleasure. Um, You know, pleasure shouldn't discriminate is what I
0: like to say. Yeah. Okay, this was interesting. You say we should all have access to the tools we need to experience pleasure. What are you talking Mm -hmm. about when you say tools here? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: So, an awareness of our bodies, of how our bodies work, what kinds of um, things help us feel aroused, feel pleasure, what kinds of things don't. um, What kinds, how do we bring it up to a, you know, communication is a big piece when you're in a partnered uh, sexual encounter. So, how do we Mm -hmm. talk about you know, what would feel good to us um, and also give an exchange feedback with partners. It can feel like a really tricky topic for people. So when I say tools, I mean, you know, anything that's gonna help you feel empowered to access that pleasure sexually.
0: Yeah, and, and probably for most people, the breakdown would occur when it comes to having that conversation. We might be feel more clear on what we're wanting or needing or wanting to explore in our own minds, but translating that to a partner can probably feel really scary and really, and really vulnerable for a lot of people. Um, is that something that you support? individuals with like learning how to break down that barrier and actually kind of build that courage to say, Hey, this is what I would like, or what I think that I would be needing in this relationship.
1: Yeah, definitely. We do a lot of work on assertiveness and I say assertiveness and being able to articulate what you want, not, um, that's often confused yeah. with
0: the term aggressiveness, which is yeah. a different term. We're not, we're not being assertive with our partners. Like you have to give this to me now, but learning to assert oneself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to make that, that shift really
1: clear, um, in the, in the language there, but yeah, I mean, helping people be able to say, okay, how do you imagine you would bring this up and, you know, maybe doing some role-playing or walking through those conversations is certainly part of things that come up in individual therapy um, and and also something that can come up in relationship therapy. So we do a lot Mm. of work with people and their partners and, you know, talking about like what would an optimal sexual experience feel like and walking through the, like what somebody is envisioning can be a really powerful exercise for partners to do together. um, Especially if you're trying to build more awareness about that together.
0: Yeah, of course, like letting your partner into what your mind is creating as a desirable experience and then actually figuring out how to put that into play and into practice. I know it's a hot topic because, I mean, I I coach men and Mm -hmm. one of the more common things I am seeing just recently, just maybe even in the last six to seven weeks uh, with the clients I'm speaking with is this kind of mismatch in sexual compatibility, where in this instance, the men are wanting to have sex more frequently with their partners than what their partner is wanting is, is, is that pretty common in terms of this, that kind of sexual mismatch in terms of how much one wants versus the other? Do you, do you see that a lot, Jennifer?
1: Yeah, mismatch in sexual desire is really, really common. And it's not tied to one's gender identity in any particular mm-hmm. way. And that's something that we've seen in research, you know, I think you're talking about working with a lot of men, but you know, there might be other folks who who find themselves in relationships where who are not men, and they're also experiencing, you know, higher mm-hmm. desire than their partners. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is that it's very, very hard to have the exact same level of sexual interest every single you know week of the year. Of yeah. Been together, like that why is, not? Why I mean, not?
0: Come on. Why, why not? not? Why not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and I and I also like I liken it to something else, right? So, like, let's say you really enjoy pasta for dinner, and you know your partner is much more. Uh, you know they 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 much prefer you know chicken and and vegetables or whatever. You know it's like you're not gonna if one person has one more interest for pasta, you know, three nights a week, and somebody's like, no, I could have it one night a week. There's a negotiation of sorts that's happening mm-hmm. based on their experience and interest for pasta or chicken or whatever else they're going to eat. The and- all
0: you can eat buffet, Jennifer. Uh, that's where I'm dining every night. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes. Yes. And when it comes to sex, the same thing is true. So we know that this, this term desire discrepancy is often what's used to describe mm-hmm. when there's partners who have differences in their desire. And, you know, it's the number one thing that leads people to actually seek out sex yeah. therapy because it causes them often to get into conflicts about, you know, why isn't my partner yeah. you know, matching me? and And the reality is it's, it's, it's okay for there to be a mismatch. It's really about how you navigate it and how you respond to it. That's most
0: important. How would one at least start that journey of navigating it? I'm going to give you a scenario here. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is a scenario that came to me maybe a few weeks ago. So couple has been in a relationship for six years. Um, They are now talking about marriage and having children. They are very committed to one another However, on the gentleman's side, he recognizes that recently. And when I say recently in the last three years of their relationship, they haven't really had any sex at all yet Mm -hmm. here. They are talking about marriage and having children. And his logical mind goes, how are we going to have kids? If we're not having sex, we don't seem to have sex. And he expressed to me that his concern was that, his partner says to him, well, it's not that I don't want it. It's that I don't feel good about myself and my body. So just not that I'm needing a whole session from you on this, but, and I I love that too, but I'm I'm just curious, like where does one start when they are in a situation like this? How do you even take the first step here?
1: Mm. Well, I think it's really important to acknowledge that all for the most part, all sexual dynamics are part of a larger relational dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's not one person's fault that this is happening, right? It's like, it's a relational concern yeah. and it should be addressed that way. Um, You know, somebody could try to do everything they want to try to woo their partner, but mm-hmm. if there's that something else going on that that partner is not part of the work, then, you know, it may be very unsuccessful um, in right. terms of, that's the approach. So I think first being able to recognize and name that this is something that's on their minds and saying, you know, look, like we haven't connected this way in a really long time. And how do you, how do we feel about that? And is this something that, you know, we want to think more about or to work on, um, you know, not only for the sake of Um, if it's a hetero couple like reproduction, but you know, Mm -hmm. also thinking about down the road if if that's something that's important
0: to them to have a more active
1: sexual life.
0: Yeah. I'm hearing you use a lot of that we language, like how do we tackle Mm -hmm. this together? What if I'm just thinking off the top of my head, what if one person isn't wanting to tackle it? What if they're just saying like they're stubborn in the sense that they're like, I don't maybe stubborn is not the right word, but they're just going no, it's not important to me. I've changed my mind. Maybe in the first three years of our relationship, that was a high priority for me, but that's not how I'm feeling. And that's not what I'm wanting now. What do you, what do you do now?
1: Yeah. I think this can be, you know, really tricky when, when partners don't have the other person's buy-in. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think, you know, it's important to understand what is sort of underneath this, you know, the, the, the concern or the the reason why, I mean, usually a lot of partners talk about things in a more like surface level way of like, well, I want this to change Mm -hmm. because it's important to me, but that's like, that's pretty like basic, right? Why is it so important? What is it about connecting sexually that that does for you? For some people being able to connect sexually is like the way that they feel connected and love in like an intimate way. And they don't find it they haven't really identified other ways of getting, of connecting that allow them that same, to get to that same place. And Mm so, you know, I think being able to talk about like, on what is sort of the meaning of this for um, each person as well as like, okay, if we don't address this, like, like I understand that, you know, you don't want to but you know if we don't address this what might it look like you know six mm. months from now a year from now and not right, expressing any feelings that come up right like maybe yeah. there's some worry about that I worry about us you know not being able to connect in this way that I worry I would become so distant from you that that will have an effect on the other parts of our relationship and, mm-hmm. and I don't want that to happen right so it's I think painting kind of the picture of like why it's so important. And, you know, maybe also thinking about what working on it can look like. Cause maybe it sounds it's like one person's thinking it's a lot scarier than it actually is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what does working on it mean? Like, oh no, we're dragging ourselves to some kind of uh, you know, awful counseling session every week where I'm just being told I'm an awful person, right? <laughs> like most people might picture that as what's happening when they say we need to work on it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think there's a lot of misconceptions about counseling hmm. and, and therapy. And I also find that like with the relationship and sex therapy, there's a lot of ambivalence that people have, you know, I think people are really, really afraid that a, a therapist is going to tell you like, everything's wrong with your relationship or, hmm. you know, and that kind of, we're already as a, as humans, pretty sensitive to criticism. So fearing that is just going to make you like, want to take steps backwards. Yeah. Um, but in my experience, that's like hardly ever how it works. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, there's lots of, I would explore and unpack also any stigma or any potential reasons why, yeah. you know, ideas people have about therapy. Cause that, um, that can also get in the way, but they're also like, sex coaches out there. There are retreat programs, there's books, there's, you know, weekend intensives. Like there's lots of other options to consider if therapy isn't your jam. So, you know, I I think that that's important to consider too.
0: Yeah. It can actually be approached and you can have a lot of fun doing it. I recently watched a, um, maybe a five part series on Netflix. I don't know if you've come across it, Jennifer, it was done with Gwyneth Paltrow called sex, love, and goop. Did you by chance see that? Um,
1: I've seen it on Netflix, but I haven't watched the series.
0: Okay. Okay. So it is all about couples like together coming to the show to learn about how to reconnect physically and sexually in their relationships. And I thought it was a wonderful way to display how it doesn't have to be like what people would imagine, like two people sitting in a room, one's lying down on a couch talking about, you know, their childhood and how stressed they feel. And it's all like that, the picture that like movies paint us on traditional therapy. Right. And instead in this series, these couples were learning to connect with one another. They were doing different exper- experiments with one another. They were connecting on a really, they were trying out new sex techniques and toys and feeling different sensations and learning to have these deep conversations. And I was watching it looking like that was like a heck of a lot of fun to me. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important to note that it doesn't, ha- it doesn't necessarily like going and getting support in this area of your life for a couple. Uh, doesn't have to be dry. The experience does not have to be dry and painful, right?
1: No. And I don't think it ever should be. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. there's certain things that inherently do feel like emotionally painful about Mm -hmm. feeling distant from a partner. Um, You know, sometimes that depends on the stage at which people kind of come in for therapy, but um, it, it shouldn't feel, it shouldn't feel dry or, you know, disconnected from the therapist. I mean, you shouldn't you should find someone who feels like a good fit in that way. Um, and if they're not, it's absolutely okay and encouraged for you to find somebody else who might be a better one. Um, yeah. So I always tell people that, you know, the fit we have with a therapist or a coach or whoever is going to be, um, you know, really, really impactful in the outcomes. So yeah, you know,
0: 100%. Yeah. You absolutely have to feel like you want to be there and comfortable in that space. Otherwise, Uh, particularly talking about something deep and vulnerable like this. I just don't think it's going to click, right? You might take something out of it, but you also might come out of it feeling worse in that scenario, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing that I would like keep in mind related to this topic too, is that so, so often partners come in when it's been like way too late, Mm. like like they'll let a concern go on and on and on. And if it's been, you know, you go to therapy and the classic example is like, okay, you've been together 10 years. The concern has been going on for nine, right? Like it's a lot harder to address when this is like, you've been together for five years and this has been going on for the past four months. Um, You know, it's being proactive. It really- Nip
0: it in the bud, right? Mm -hmm. Like in in the example I shared with you, it had been about three years now and that's Mm -hmm. half of their relationship. And it's like, now they're considering marriage and it's like, oh, that's the trigger to say, okay, we've We've been ignoring this for three years now. Let's go deal with it. And I would imagine that would in a way make it tougher, right? Cause mm-hmm. there's a lot of built up emotions on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, having, you know, never really dealt with it in a, in a loving, caring manner. Um, when we talk about supporting people, you say you support individuals with life transitions and anxiety and All I know is that we're in a very strange time to be alive. It's a stressful time to be alive. Rates of technology are changing. We're dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with mistrust all around the place, social media in our face. Uh, Anxiety is on an all-time high. When you say you support individuals with life transitions and anxiety, do you mean how this impacts their uh, their sexual relationships, or what's causing it's what's causing a disturbance in their sex life. So, what do you mean when you say you support them around this?
1: Yeah. So, a life transition is really anything that can happen in your life that you are having that's causing you to change or adjust to something new. Mm-hmm. um And so, you know, it, it may be related to one's sexual life, it, you know, indirectly or directly, but it also may not. So, you know, a, a, whether someone is, um, you know, going through a divorce, they are going, they're getting engaged, they just um, had a baby, right? Like these are common life transitions mm-hmm. that people experience that you know may cause some anxiety, distress, etc. And some of that could be related to their sexual life, but you know, more often, like we're treating the distress around it because um, that's you know what is often most disturbing and frustrating mm-hmm. for people.
0: Got it. So, you know, getting a new job or even moving overseas. But um, I guess what I'm curious there is, does this typically have an impact on people's libido and their desire? I mean, when we're feeling stressed out, I imagine that it's not synonymous with also feeling desirable or in the mood. So Mm -hmm. is there like a correlation between high levels of anxiety and low libido or is that something I'm making up in my head.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, it's interesting. There's research that says that when someone is, has more stress, um, that they will seek out sex more, but there's also Mm. research that says that when they're more stressed that they will shy away from sex or treat from it.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so what really, camp do you fall in basically?
1: <laughs> so I, I'm not on a, a team per se. I just sort of, <laughs> you know, recognize that people's relationships to sex are different. So like, yeah, for example, when our, our, Brains, when we're feeling stressed, our brains are functioning, you know, at a different uh, capacity, you know, or we're, we're kind of um, limited in a lot of ways because we've, depending on how stressed we are, we may be functioning without as much, um, you know, prefrontal cortex and executive functioning. If we're, you know, um, really, really active, then that can help effects on the nervous system, but there's also this piece of, um, you know, being really stressed out and just like wanting to, we, people will will kind of have their own behaviors for, you know, isolating Mm -hmm. or kind of some people, you know, want to exercise, they want to, um, you know, talk to a friend or they want to, um, you know, have a drink or whatever they do to kind of cope with stress. Some of these things are avoiding sex because you're just your body can't experience pleasure if all you're yeah. thinking about is stress. Um, but you know, for the people who maybe they seek out um, a release from sex when they are feeling stressed, that sex has been a stress reliever for them or they crave being close to their partner when they're feeling stressed and that closeness is what causes them to want to connect more deeply in a mm-hmm. sexual way. It kind of makes sense that it can work in either direction. It just depends on people's relationships to sex and right. and their what happens for them when they're stressed out. Um but you know, it, there is research that suggests it can go either way. Mm-hmm. So um yeah. I'm not, I'm not on a camp. I'm more of like a, this, I can report what the research says and you know, understand from both parties, how that works.
0: I'm team have sex. No, I'm not on a team. I'm, I'm team, whatever an individual needs to do to create better wellness for themselves. <laughs> but, uh, if it includes sex happy days um and i'm curious too because you know I'm, we're going to get into the education piece in a little bit but i went to a private school i remember biology they put a video on of a woman giving birth it scared the living heck out of me um it looked awful and messy and i think i left the classroom <laughs> I'm pretty sure cuz i just that's all i remember um and then i don't really remember much other education around it now uh, what I'm leading into here is when we say sex, I'm curious what that definition really means, because I think traditionally a lot of us understand sex to mean purely intercourse, right? And as far as I'm aware and the knowledge that I'm gaining recently is sex is a lot more than just that. So coming from, yourself, being a licensed psychotherapist, being in this field, how do you describe and share what sex actually is and what it what it means?
1: Yeah. So sex is a really um, broad term and has multiple meanings. Right. And so I often think about sex as having different elements to it. So um when we think about sexuality we think about um the, the there's like sexual health and reproduction which is one piece of it and that's you know the behaviors we're engaging in it's our anatomy it's contraception it's all of it's all the information that a lot of things that should be thoroughly covered in a sex ed curriculum mm-hmm. but there's also these components of sexual identity right how do we identify what our what is our gender our orientation um pieces like that there's also intimacy which you know covers kind of how vulnerable we are and having these kind of intimate relationships and then there's also pieces like um sexualization like how we experience media or flirtation um, you know, we think of like pornography and um, sexual imagery, and there's also sensuality that's involved, which is, you know, more about kind of our own arousal experiences. So there's like all of these things are part of sexuality. Um, and so sex per se often gets used to refer to like what we're doing with our bodies mm-hmm. or our biological sex, which is assigned to us at birth. And, you know, for some people, the, the way that we, the way that they have sex is through intercourse, but that's not the way that everybody has sex. There's lots mm. of things that can feel sexual for people. And so um, I think when people say, you know, we had sex, one of the things that I always like to understand is like, what does that mean for you? Because,
0: yeah. you know,
1: that's broad, it's broad term and um, all those different things can kind of be wrapped into it. And so that's, that's my long answer. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I'm always curious when people say, oh man, like, especially when, when you're dating and you're, you know, girls are gossiping and sharing their stories and, you know, men are talking about it and they say, oh man, it was the best sex I ever had. What am My little noggin is going like, what do you mean? What was, what was the best part of it? Like, are you talking Mm -hmm. about like just having intercourse and that was mind blowing or was it the desire and the flirting building up to it? Was it the role playing, was it the toys? Was it, um, touching feet under the dinner table? Like for me, I'm like, is it, I'm starting to view it as such much, uh, much bigger than I maybe thought it was before. And so I'm just curious about that. I mean, do, do people come in as couples and say, Hey, the sex isn't great, or we're not having sex. And all they're talking about is we want to have more intercourse, or are we having conversations now where people are going Where is kind of the sensuality and the effort and the flirting and the other parts of it?
1: I would say that, you know, everybody's um, circumstances are a bit different, but there is so much more that's happening that's beyond what we're doing with our bodies that is so related to the quality of our sex Mm -hmm. that is really important to unpack. So, you know, how somebody reaches out to invite you to be sexual, how someone responds and gives you feedback, the way that they are um, touching you, pressure, temperature, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of those kinds of things are, you know, related. And and that's not just like, okay, body part touches body part here. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, So much more nuanced than that. So, you know, I think it's really important we think about what is leading to quality sexual experiences that we're really unpacking that a little bit more because a lot of times people recall the feeling they had, right? It Mm -hmm. felt so when we when we have a sexual experience, sometimes we go to this other place, like this erotic place, and it feels really exciting, it feels mm-hmm. really intense, or it can feel that way. And so people often remember the feeling and they're talking about, oh, I had this great sexual experience. And that's, I think, what kind of leads to that, but it doesn't really mm-hmm. leave us with much understanding of what they're talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah. Or
1: it leaves you to, with the, to the imagination of what they're talking about. I guess. Yeah.
0: Was it, did it feel good just physically or was it feeling good because you're feeling really connected or all the other things that lead up to it? And I just, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated just I'm surprised that I had a little bit more of a limited understanding. I didn't grow up with a religious background. I wasn't shamed Mm -hmm. for talking about sex or anything like that. I just, I kind of just thought it was one thing and Mm -hmm. off I went on my life, just assuming that was the narrow definition of it. And I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm being so enlightened to just the world that it is. Um, And I find it really fascinating Uh, And one of the things I know you mentioned is you say you help people love energetically. What Mm -hmm. does that mean?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, I really believe that putting love into a relationship is an action, right? We often think about love as something that we want or something that we have, a noun. But when you're loving someone, you need to work on loving them every day. Mm-hmm. It's not—it's a practice. It's not something that's passive. And so when I think about loving energetically, what it means is really energizing, putting that energetic energy into the love and the practice of loving somebody, um, Hmm. because without that, it's, it can feel kind of boring or bleak, but also, um, it's kind of assumes that, you know, love is something we, we chase after, and then it's there. And then we never have to nurture it again. And that's just simply not how, uh, how long-term uh desire and intimacy mm-hmm. works it requires that energetic component
0: yeah yeah i fully agree with that i i know that a lot of individuals we get into that phase when we're quite infatuated with somebody in the beginning uh, we call it that chem we have high chemistry or we have that spark and now the spark is gone or um you know the the early days are over or whatever people refer to. And they go, now it's just boring and flat. Or I feel like I want to be in a new relationship and seek that high again. But I'm recognizing that it's like, no, you you can keep that spark alive you just have to work to keep it alive, right? It's like a, a plant. You can leave it in the corner and water it once a year. It might stay alive. It might.
1: <laughs> it's it a really hardy
0: plant. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of plants I have in my place. The ones that like you basically ignore and they flourish. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. I and mean, it's like you nurture it. You feel, feed the soil. You give it tender, loving care. You look after it. And it's the same thing for our relationships and the way we love one another. And it's the same for our relationships relationships with how we feed each other um in that also that physical, intimate, and emotionally um special way. So I I really love that. Just like, can you give some examples of like what just off the top of your head, and maybe even something you've shared with a client before, but like if someone says, okay, I want to learn to love my partner more energetically. (laughs) Okay. I want to learn to give back and like Mm -hmm. nourish this relationship. And anything that's on the table right now, right? What's something that someone can do? Because I know men like ideas. I like ideas.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think first you have to understand like how your partner feels, experiences, love. Okay, they love everything
0: right now, Jennifer. They They love love everything. All the things.
1: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, being able, everything from um, demonstrating appreciation Mm -hmm. for them, um, you know, reminders, love notes, um, you know, sweet texts throughout the day, you know, depending mm-hmm. emails, however you communicate um, from doing nice things, right? Arranging a special date night, maybe something spontaneous or date day or making mm-hmm. breakfast or whatever it is that drives them, um, you know, maybe a surprise gift if that's, you know, something mm-hmm. that um, you know, really helps your partner feel loved, but really putting your energy into different aspects of your relationship is yeah. what's most important. So in some ways I can give you all the ideas in the world, but <laughs> it's the energy that's really what matters, right? If you show up yeah. and you're just like, ugh, like I have to cook you dinner again, right?
0: Like oh God, or you're like, here's your gift.
1: <laughs> right, like nobody is gonna want. They're gonna match your energy in receiving that. Like, okay, I don't yes. want your gift, right? Or like, this, well, that that's an nice important terrible.
0: note there, right? Is they're gonna match your energy? So it's like, mm-hmm. be aware of how you're giving too, right? Mm-hmm. In the space that you're in when you are giving somebody an affirmation or complimenting them. And this goes to love languages, right? It's like understanding how, like you're saying, you're like, I love your professional answers. You're like, Well, you have to understand what they want and like first, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is, it's true. We have to understand how our partners feel loved, right? And then learn to kind of show up in that way for them too. And then vice versa. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I like when I invite people to really think about like it really makes me feel loved when and to mm. kind of complete that sentence because you know there's there's so many things that are happening that. That kind of connect to that feeling for us and a lot of people don't think about it very often and so you know really understanding that I think you know you can throw darts at a wall and see what sticks for sure when you don't (laughs) know someone too well but you know when you are in a longer term relationship or dating relationship I think it's important to you know really try to understand that about your partner because you're going to be a lot more successful. And when you have that awareness.
0: Yeah. Now, from your perspective, um, when two individuals are starting to date and they're getting close to wanting to be sexually intimate with one another, like when, when do we talk about sex and our past sexual health? When is it appropriate to bring it up? Or when would you at least guide or counsel someone to start talking about that?
1: I think as soon as it feels like sex is imminent like Mm -hmm. in the next uh in the next anywhere from the next hour to the next week or two yeah Um, (laughs) you know so that's what I mean by imminent I'll define that Um, (laughs) you know to be able to say hey and I get the I'm you know things are getting steamier between us that they're heating up I can see that you know we might be sexually active soon. And you know, I just wanna talk a bit about our sexual health so that we can be, you know, on the same page when mm-hmm. we get to that point. Um, and you know, just being able to talk about, you know, when was your last uh screening, a sexual health screening? Did you get tested? Um, results, are there certain things that um any kind of chronic health issues that you need to kind of think about when you're being sexually active? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what kinds of contraception or barrier methods do you plan to use to help people feel uh safe and uh and also connected during that time
0: gotcha okay so definitely before have it be honest uh is there anything that we shouldn't be telling anybody
1: Mm. i think you know the most important thing is just not not being afraid to have these conversations and also not shaming partners like there's a lot of really negative messaging people have learned about sexual health like um if you've had an sti that like mm-hmm. there's something wrong with you or that that's like uh there, like there's People will say this is like, you're unclean or you're dirty or, or or the opposite is, is true. Like, oh, I've been tested. I'm clean. No, you're not like clean. You just had, you know, a a test and it was negative. So just say what the (laughs) answer was, because it it suggests that somebody, you know, who has an STI is dirty and that's not true. It's not about like cleanliness, uh, infections Mm -hmm. are infections. It's like saying somebody has had a cold, um, you know, and we all get cold. Yeah. Um, just taking any kind of shaming language out of it and being really um, open and honest with your partners because you know yeah. it's just going to allow for a more comfortable sexual experience
0: uh, afterwards. Uh, 100%, I agree. And I think at this point, you might even recognize a red flag too. If you are having that conversation, you are getting shamed by somebody or they are saying inappropriate things to you at that point. Then it's like, I guess in my opinion, I'm like, get out of Dodge now because- You don't wanna be active with someone that, you know, isn't compassionate towards you either, right?
1: Yeah. I think it's important to note that. And, you know, also I think it, again, we've kind of talked about feeling unprepared for these conversations. So sometimes people do feel nervous and Mm -hmm. caught off guard, but I I do think, you know, there's a difference in giving people the benefit of the doubt of feeling nervous versus like they're actively, you know, defensive or rude towards you about it. So, um, you know, just kind of keeping in mind that, you know, these are vulnerable conversations. You may not know each other all that well yet, depending on how long Mm. you've been seeing each other. So just kind of being um, compassionate towards yourself during that experience.
0: I agree. So this kind of bridges us into a little bit on sex education. I know it's a big part of what you do. um, And I know that you've got a course Mm -hmm. right out on sex education, but for parents to walk their kids through or to kid or for young adolescents to go through on their own. Tell me a little bit about it. I think it's called Mm -hmm. Building Ease, talking about the birds and the bees, is that right? Yeah, that is correct. (laughs)
1: So Building Ease um, was a curriculum that I used to facilitate in schools. It's for parents and caregivers, um, for them to become more confident in being able to start and continue having what we often hear as the talk. Um, But it's really many conversations about bodies, about sexuality, about relationships, consent, a whole lot of things. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've found in my work is that so many partners feel unprepared for navigating their own sexual lives that when they go to have a child and then, or, um, you know, start to talk to mm-hmm. their young people in their lives about these things, they feel terrified and unsure where to begin.
0: Totally. Like I, I would imagine terror, terror would definitely set in. <laughs>
1: yeah. and, and part of it is that we have really um, lack of, inform- there's really big gaps in information about Um, you know, sexuality and like hearing the words kids or youth and sexuality together also freaks people out because Mm -hmm. they often think that like a child, it's a bad thing that children are Mm -hmm. innocent and really children are, they're innocent, but they're also very curious and it's normal for them to be Curious about bodies, and it doesn't. They don't think about sex the same way that adults do, mm-hmm. and so it's really important, I think, for people to understand that you know, a kid being curious about their bodies or you know, saying the word penis or vulva is mm-hmm. not a. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them or that they are like oversexed or whatever. It's it's a curiosity that's totally normal, and we as caregivers need to learn how to respond to them so that we mm-hmm. can be the best role models possible.
0: Yes, no wonder a lot of uh, kids are very disconnected from their bodies if they're, you know, if if they happen to grow up in a household or a family uh, setting where they're kind of shamed for asking questions about it or wanting to learn more or explore. And I know kids for sure are curious That's all heck, right? Like that's how they're (laughs) figuring everything out by touching, by asking questions, by doing the wrong thing and being corrected. And, you know, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. kids for you. So, um, okay. So this course is, so, so what comes in it? Like, is it, you, you pay for it and log on online and you can walk people through it or is it interactive? Like, tell me a little bit about what someone can expect if they want to investigate further.
1: Of course. So it's a self-paced course that's online. So people can log in, they can either get access for 30 days or unlimited access. And there's six different lessons that they can go through. Um, there's first kind of learning about what it means to be proactive as a caregiver, um, understanding their own experiences about sex, their own narratives and how that impacts like their values and what they want to share with their kiddos, um, understanding and then other lessons on being sex positive and doing their research and certain things that they can do. It's as, as like a baseline to mm-hmm. create a, um, either more sex neutral or sex positive culture in their home with their young people. Yeah.
0: Um, what, what talk- do you mean when you say, sorry, sex neutral, what does that mean? I get sex positive. What's sex neutral.
1: Yeah. So sex neutral is like, um, you know, sex is not this, it's not like about it being good or bad. It's just Mm -hmm. having a neutral environment related to sex. Um, and so it's being able to name it and talk about it, but it's not, um, you know, it's, it's more of a, uh, it's, it's a part of conversation, but it's not something that we like run towards or shy away from. And for some people being sex neutral is a little bit more obtainable than what they think of as sex positive. Um, but, um, that's what I mean by that.
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. Okay. So where can they find more information about you? Where can they find information about this course? If it's something, can a caregiver just take it like a a parent, just take it on their own and then they can go have a conversation on their own time with their kids? Or is it something that they would take in conjunction with their kids? Like we're all learning together.
1: Yeah. So it's just for the caregivers. So okay. if Got you, it. and if you're co-parenting with someone, um, or there are multiple caregivers in the home, you can take it together. There's exercises to talk about. Um, if you're a solo parent, you can take it on your own, um, Got and- it. There, you know, we cover things like how to talk about sex, how to talk about gender, how to talk about consent and boundaries and Internet safety, all those topics are included mm-hmm. as well. Um, so after somebody completes the course, there's also this online portal that they get access to where they can post questions or success stories and engage with other parents um, and that's a way for them to kind of engage um, with the group so. Um, in order to learn more about it, they can find out, um, if they go to ease, um, dot sexual wellness.com, That will be the best way to bring it to the website where they can learn more about the course um, and the different options. Um,
0: Got it. And I feel like this like is a perfect kind of loop to what we first started talking about. I mean, if Caregivers and family members were able to understand sex, education, and sexuality and sexual health a little better. We we're able to communicate that to our kids as they grow up. Then I would imagine that as we get into our intimate relationships and in adulthood, we would feel a little more equipped to have these conversations. We might be able to be a little bit more assertive, right, in those conversations, not aggressive, but assertive yeah. when it comes to what we like and don't like. And I imagine that would. Help with a lot of the stress that a lot of uh, individuals deal with when it comes to this topic in their intimate relationships. So go check it out. Um, I don't have kids. But when I do, I definitely am going to figure out how to have <laughs> these conversations versus avoiding them, which I think a lot of people do because it's like, oh, it's awkward. What do we do? Yes. <laughs> how do we have this conversation? So that is something I'm actually going to introduce to my sister who has two little kids uh, as well, which I think would be really beneficial. So thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about all of this stuff and answering all my questions and um, really appreciate you showing up and sharing this with the audience. And um, outside of finding the course, where else? Can I point them if they want to learn more about yourself or reach out to you individually? Of
1: course. So our website is embracesexualwellness.com. There's more information about me, our therapy practice, as well as sex ed programs that we do across the world. Um, and also on Instagram. So I'm, my handle is embrace sexual wellness. And we post a number of um, sex related content there for not just caregivers, but you know any kind of relationship health stuff too.
0: Awesome. Cool. I'll make sure I put all the links in the show notes as well. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your uh, time with me today. Um, Everyone, thank you for tuning in and listening to the end. I'll have all the links for you to reach out to Jennifer in the show notes. And thank you very much for being part of the show and look forward to sending you another episode next week. Ciao.